Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kamura. Hey, everyone. John Epperson. Hello. Luke Stutters. Hi. And Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just a quick shout out. Go check out the MVP or most valuable programmer stuff that I'm putting together. It's devchat.tv slash MVP. This week, we have a special guest, and that is Eric Hayes. Eric, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm, I'm Eric. I've been a programmer in some fashion for, I don't know, maybe 20 years, but started working with Ruby and Rails probably around 2007. And yeah, I worked for a school district for 10 years where I did all kinds of things, but one of which was build apps for teachers. And then I did a stint at Red Hat for about a year. And now I work for a small company. I'm the CTO of a small company that builds donor analytics for nonprofit orgs like churches. Oh, nice. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Yeah, well, we brought you on to talk about AREL or AREL. I've heard it's. <laughs> I think it's AREL. I think it's AREL is the way that I've heard it from the Rails people. But yeah, it's always interesting to hear a little bit of that background. School district and then, yeah, nonprofits. Yeah. That's that's interesting. All space over the place. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but let's dive in here. So why AREL? I mean, people mostly just use the Rails active record stuff, right? Right. And and I, I think should. it wraps over the top of it. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah. So why do we care? It's just a, it's, you know, it's a little layer that I don't have to think about. Right. Right. It, most of the time you're working an active record. And I remember the first time I saw active record and I was like, man, this is awesome. Cause I was coming from PHP and all that kind of stuff. So this isn't oh, yeah. about, this isn't about how active record is, is broken or wrong or something, but there are definitely inner instances where you need to drop down and work directly with the database. And my, my app is a reporting app. And so we use a lot of database specific features, aggregations, we do a lot of calculations and processing in the database. And if you're going to do that, at least today, you have to drop down to SQL. There, there are some things where Active Record over the years has added these fancier features, but for the most part, you have to drop down to SQL if you're going to really make use of some of these more powerful features. Now, Makes I sense. guess before we get started, I, I want to ask a question around this because writing SQL on a day-to-day -day basis within my Rails application does not sound like fun. It sounds very messy, <laughs> right. specifically messy coming back to either refactor or to modify that line of SQL. You know, I'm going to, it kind of reminds me of like Perl. It's, yeah, you can at one point like write it and then maybe in the future read it, but it's not exactly something that you want to do, at least in my opinion. So would a alternative to using ARL be using a database view table where you yes. have all the calculations that's happening on the database side and you can then just interact with it like a regular regular active record object? Yes, absolutely. So there's actually a, a cool gem called a scenic and it helps you manage these database views and materialized views where basically you have a, a SQL file and, and it says, hey, database, pretend this query is like a permanent table. And, you know, there's various ways to update that data. But but then when, when as far as the database concerned, it's just a table, then you can totally just 
as far as active record knows, it's it's just like any of the other tables. And then you can have that nice, clean active record interface. And I would say oftentimes, no matter what you do, in order for to get to where you have that maintainability, the way I like to talk to our devs about it is we're always trying to push back to vanilla rails, <laughs> right? Even if we're doing something fancy, let's, let's try to make our objects look like uh, active record objects when it's appropriate or, you know, try to use the, the same controller view patterns and all that kind of stuff. Don't step too far out of that. But yeah, to your question, if you're dealing with a lot of SQL and you have strings and stuff, here's how I would say it. The active record is like the first starting point. <laughs> then, okay, I've got something fancier. That That's where you decide, would something like a materialized view work for me? For our application, our application is like a report. You can think of it as a as a reporting app. It's like a reporting app as a service almost kind of thing. And and so our users can change the filters and, and settings. You know, imagine a, a very complex search thing where they can just change stuff on the fly. And that's where materialized view start, stops being so beneficial because materialized view is kind of like a denormalization, right? It's like you have your, your tables, they're all separate, you know, posts and comments. And then you kind of want to put them together into like, here, here's a closer representation of what I'm going to show to my end user. And I'm going to kind of put that data together so it's fast. But we have a whole lot of data and we have a multi-tenant kind of situation where we have different customer, different accounts, and then they can all change these, these settings and stuff. So just for our application, the kind of the raw data that we get from the customer is kind of, there are opportunities for us to do these kind of uh, cache tables or something like a materialized view, but there's not a lot of places where that makes sense for us. And so we build that on the fly often with complex SQL because we don't know ahead of time, All the, often we don't know ahead of time what the user is looking for. And so then, then we try to cache it closer to the end user, if that makes sense, instead of in, in the database. But the materialized view thing is, is totally cool. And if you can do it, that, that's actually probably better than what we do, but doesn't work out so well for us. We've looked. I want to press pause here real quick because we've okay. used a couple of terms. <laughs> yes. Assumed that people know what they are. I don't know so what materialized view means. Help. <laughs> yeah, yes. materialized view i don't think we really even mentioned what a rel is yeah you know i think people to some degree if they're working in rails and they've had to mess with the database at all they, they at least have an idea of what sql is yeah even if they haven't had to you know write sql or bash their head against the wall or anything else equally painful yeah so yeah so can you we just define some of these terms sql a rel yeah, and materialized views Absolutely, yeah. So SQL is is the language you talk to typical relational database today, and that's just a it, it's a language that says here's the data here's how I want the data to look as it comes back out. It's like a yeah that, that that's a whole show in itself of what, what SQL could be, but that's mm -hmm. how you talk to the database and say put put my tables and and do this with the data and and give me this result. And so take that in your mind. And so then a view is like okay a database. I want to store this special SQL that I've kind of put together and pretend those the results are just like any other table. And so what the database does with that is your application might hit this like fake table. It's like, it's like a pseudo table almost. And behind the scenes, the database, okay, I'm going to run this query against the real tables and put it together and present it as if it was any other table in the database. It, for me, the way that I think about it is essentially people are pretty familiar with the idea of indices in yeah. SQL tables, right? So every time you add something to the table, it updates the index. And so it keeps a running list essentially it's a B tree, but we don't need to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it keeps a running list of how to quickly order whatever it is that you have 
out of the table, right? And so every time you add something in, it updates the index. Well, it's the same thing, except it's it's essentially keeping separate copy of the results of whatever query you would make. Right. That's specifically so, what a materialized view is. Yes. Where yeah. It's actually storing that somewhere. Yep. And then it makes it really fast. And so if you're doing yes. reporting and things like that, which is what we were talking about, it makes that real fast because it doesn't have to go grind through the data and say, okay, sort it by this and then partition it by this and then do this right. other thing with it and then twist yep. it around this way and then squeeze it out through this round tube. Exactly. Yeah. So where we're like, uh, maybe the materialized view doesn't work for us is that we would have to update that so often right. that it might as well just be doing it on the fly as needed. Yeah, your so, reports are custom queries. And so you can't exactly. just save it that way. Yeah. But if your app does, you should absolutely go to that first before you're mm-hmm. going to maybe build the complex stuff that we might talk about later. So yeah, I think we defined all of those. And oh, ARel. Yeah. ARel is what Active Record uses under the hood to build SQL code, right? So ARel takes your post.find1 and turns that into select star from posts where ID equals one, right? So it's it's at a, at a basic high level, it's kind of like a translator, but we could get into more of kind of how it actually works, which is interesting to me, at least. <laughs> it was one of those things, when I first heard about ARel, I was like, man, that's, that's deep computer science-y kind of stuff, you know? I wonder if I'll ever understand that, you know? And then after I got a a couple of kind of key concepts. It's like, oh, okay, this this, this makes total sense. Uh, the other the other thing I should I should say real quick is that ARL also it's the like compatibility layer where you could write the same active record for a dozen different databases, and ARL will kind of figure out, okay, what's the like Postgres specific lingo here? What's the MySQL specific lingo here? You know, what about uh, Microsoft SQL Server? There, there's a whole list of different databases that that Rails supports, and it can do that in the same way because of the ARL library. Right. It's the jQuery for databases. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. It, it's like, let's let's build an abstraction layer over all the weirdnesses that the browsers, you know, would do and make yep. make JavaScript nice. And at least until everyone comes together and and agrees on how it should be. Yeah, standardizes. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath for databases. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's probably worth saying that the materialized views don't auto-update. So one of the reasons they're fast is it runs the query once and then it, 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 does it sit on the disk? Presumably it must sit on the disk somewhere. I think it's stored just like any other database and it's kind of up to you to keep it up to date. That's why it didn't make a ton of sense for us because we'd be constantly thrashing that table, so to speak. I was going to say, then you're maintaining all of those triggers mm-hmm. and yep. and so many other things, which is its own thing. Yep. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we've got this all defined. So Dave asked, why, Eric? Why? <laughs> why not strings is probably a good thing to focus on. Like, why not just use strings? So you're like, okay, I can't just use Active Record. I need, I need to write cross SQL. Why not just use strings and do it the PHP style, which I think someone said. <laughs> and that's that's totally valid. And the way I would say it is, if you have one or two cases where it's like I, I got to drop down to SQL and I've got this very optimized thing that I'm running, then a string probably makes a ton of sense. But where strings become less of a good thing is when when you have a lot of them and you have to worry about maintainability. And then when you're building SQL, especially if you're like going to combine different things, you got to keep track of when, when you write a SQL query, it's it's asking for for columns and table names. And you got to keep all those straight if you have a, if you have a big 
blob of, of, of text in a string and maybe you're you're doing some you have some variables in there to make it do what you want and you, you got to keep a bunch of stuff straight that ARL could do for you and probably the main selling point for dropping down to for using ARL instead of just strings is the composability where you can just you, you can have separate classes that kind of get combined into to one structure in, in ARL without going into the, the details and and then ARL will figure out okay he's asking for these columns from this part and these columns from this other part and I'm going to I'm going to keep it all straight and then the output is correct. You know, <laughs> that might not have made too much sense over, over pure audio, but... Does SQL <laughs> seem like an angry language to you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not angry, but but dense. It's like... Do you know what very, I mean? Yeah. It's very... you, you, you're used to doing all this lovely JavaScript, friendly Ruby, right. and uh, even C Sharp, you know, is not so bad. And then you get the kind of really stern languages like Objective-C where everything's capitalized and it feels yeah. like, feels a bit formal. And then SQL comes in and it's kind of like, select all, select yeah. star. <laughs> it's very loud because it's often capitalized. Yeah, it's like shouting. <laughs> you guys but, do know that you don't have to capitalize it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> John is such a rebel. <laughs> uh, Actually, I like the capitalized stuff. I think it looks prettier, but so I, that's what I do. I do John is such a conformist. Times, yeah. <laughs> I, I do it most of the time so I can keep different terms straight. But yeah, it is. It, it's like with a language like Ruby or JavaScript, you're saying, here's what I want to do. Like I'm starting with some data and here's what I want to do. I'm going to go through some like loops and, you know, have some control, uh, some if else kind of stuff. And then then I kind of imagine what will come out the other end of my code. Whereas SQL is all about the, the part that comes out the other end. It's like, here's what I want it to look like database. And you go figure it out how to how to make it happen. And so you, it's a different way of thinking for sure. I think that's an important point to reiterate because yeah. I was going to make it if, if no one ever got to that. It's like in SQL, you're not telling the, the database what to do. You are describing to the database the data set and how you want it arranged. Right. And the database then says, hmm, how do I grab this data? Let me figure this out. And it does all that for you. Right, which is a, a complete paradigm shift probably for most people. I thought well, I was the boss. <laughs> one, one thing I should say, like what unlocked it for me was this concept called a, a CTE or a, it's a, uh, I'm blanking on what that means, common table expression. And that that's one of the reasons why we dropped down to to, ARL, to use ARL is because then we can work with this thing called a, a CTE. But you can think of a CTE as a more object-oriented way of thinking about SQL, or at least that's how I think about it, where you can say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to start with step one, like one transformation, and then I'm going to add another one and another one. And at the end, I'll just have like a really simple select from this thing I've kind of built up from top to bottom. Whereas otherwise, a lot of complex SQL has like these nested statements and it's it's not very easy to read or, or reason about. But if people are interested in, in kind of getting deeper into SQL, I recommend looking into this idea called a, a CTE or common table expression because that that kind of unlocked it for me. It's like, okay, now I can like think step by step how I'm transfer, transforming stuff and then and then and then kind of get the output at the end. It's, it gets it a little closer to regular uh, languages, if you will. They're super powerful. And yeah. you suddenly found yourself reaching for CTEs. Yeah. And now you couldn't write that because it is a thing that Active Record doesn't natively support. Right. You now we're like, now I need to write this in Arrow, yeah. Arrow whatever it is. Exactly, yeah. 
And that, that also helps us. So we do a lot of, of taking, how do I explain this? So we have the kind of reports that we're showing that are like, let's just say there's a handful of common transformations that might come from, or that might be shared across multiple reports, right? So we have a, a place there where we can reuse some code, right? And so our query objects, as we call them, that wrap some ARail are, are, are small, discrete pieces that we can mix and match for, for the final report that we're trying to build, the final, final query we're trying to build. And so that's where ARail again comes in because we can say, all right, take this piece or this, this little snippet of ARail or, or SQL concept, if you will, and kind of put them all together for the, for the final thing. And ARail handles that, that building behind the scenes, that, that putting together the, the SQL concept concepts, so to speak, and then it kind of puts it all together into a into the sequel that we need, right? So I'm, I'm still a little bit disconnected <laughs> from, okay, when would I use ARAL? When would yeah. I use Active Record? Right. You would use Active Record as much as, as possible. So if you're doing right. the kind of standard blog stuff, like posts, dot all, you know, post dot where, whatever. Right. You're definitely going to stick with active record. But we are doing things like, so I was just talking about this like CTE idea where we're kind of step by step. We might start with our app is all about donations. So we'll say, okay, find all the first time donors in this date range. That's that's mm-hmm. like one CTE. And then the next step would be, okay, take those people and count them, turn them into uh, counts. So I, I'm trying to avoid getting too much into like the, the actual SQL statements. Right. But one of the things you can do with, with a database that's usually referred to as an aggregation, you can say, so imagine you have donations that all fall on a date. They're all entered on a certain date. You could say, okay, take the month part of that and then sum the, am- the amount part <laughs> right. Okay. And then group by the month, right? So then you have the the sum of all donations for each month, right? But if you want that that's kind of a simple thing, but so we'll take like okay, get all the the people who gave for the first time in this month or, or in this time range and then sum up all their their donations by week, so say over this time range. So you're building something that might end up as a chart, right? You have the points on a graph that are the the sum or the total count for a for a date. These are the kinds of things we're doing behind the scenes with, with SQL that you could build with with Ruby, really. You could just stick with that record, just pull out all the raw data and I'll iterate over it with Ruby, right? But we have what I like to say medium data. <laughs> like we don't have a massive database, but we have millions and millions of rows, about 500 gigabytes to a terabyte of data. And so we're not gonna pull that all over the network and then load it in the memory and then you know build these, these counts and sums and stuff. We wanna do all of that in the database. And that's where Active Record has some simple concepts like sum and that kind of stuff, but we can't do these step-by-step transformation type SQL just just with active record, if that makes sense. I actually have another example too. Yeah. So I've actually done this before too, which is why I'm like super interested in this topic myself. But I've worked on two different ERP systems over the course of my career. And one of them I still work on, just keep the lights on for them and things. And in this particular one, we, we did something like this or whatever, because there are... So I thought it was interesting that you brought up like a filtering system. Like I felt over the course of my career, this is like the most common place that you'll get it where you mm-hmm. create a complex filtering system and you start to get to this point where Ransack no longer works for you. Yeah. Ransack's great, I feel mm-hmm. like in the in the medium or whatever, but yep. you get to a point where you're just like, well, if I put something in this one field right here, now I have to join another table, except that it's not just a regular join. Like maybe I have to do some aggregation on that table before mm-hmm. I can join it. 
depending on what you put in the field. Or if I combine these two fields over here, now I have aggregations matched with aggregations. And then all of a sudden, this is where CTs are like really awesome. You're just like, mm -hmm. okay, whenever I add this field in, I need this special CTE that like gets everything ready to combine with everything else, right? Exactly. And and I only need to include that when I have this one field in, in my filter. And it's, then you can combine multiple CTEs together. Like that's when I feel like you get into like this complex, like yep. just figuring out how to do this stuff. And if you were to write one of these queries, you don't have to use CTEs. It's absolutely possible to write yep. any one of these queries without CTEs. It's possible to write these queries using window functions and things like that. But trying to dynamically do it is where it gets mm -hmm. really yep. complicated and hard. And then CTEs are like fantastically awesome. Yeah, that's that's what I would say is like when you're doing something like that where you're just like where you're really like filtering something where the user gets to define gets to build up mm -hmm. the query themselves, right? And you're kind of just trying to support that dynamic aspect of it. That's yes. when I found that I needed to dig. Yeah, I think that's ex that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Like we have a we have a custom search situation where people can add multiple filters, uh, you know, with like a, a nested form kind of thing. And and those filters just all represent, all end up as a CTE later. And then kind of the final bit of SQL is, okay, join these, these things together and, and give me the result. And it's all dynamic and, you know, you're able to, inject like Ruby conditional code in there as needed and all that kind of stuff. You can use Ruby is kind of where it comes down to why you would use ARELs because I want to use Ruby to conditionally and based on, on logic, put this, this final SQL string together. Yeah. Your logic so, ends up being Ruby. So, so how exactly do you use ARELs then? I mean, is it basically a DSL over the top of SQL or? Kind of. It's, it's not too different from active record. It's, it's definitely different where you have to kind of learn a few things, but it's not, it's not drastically different. You can start, if you're like playing in a console or something, you can pull up one of your active record models, like for instance, post and do post.arel underscore table. And then you're like in ARL land where, okay, now I have the, I have the beginnings of, a, of the ARL node structure where I can start tacking on stuff. And from there, you could say like, uh, there is a learning curve because you're like, some of the terms are different. You can't just say dot select because that's for some reason, not not the word and you have to do dot project. And then you can put in the, the, the call you want and, and so on and so forth so some of this is hard to kind of talk through without yeah. visuals but <laughs> i found that when you're using this stuff there's a lot of guessing the magic word yep with arrow <laughs> i i wanted to do what's called a modulo lookup in postgres yep. which is dead easy to do in raw sql uh, but you try and find that in arrow you know yeah. and it's it's not just that like you said even even select is not select it's project yeah is there a is there a big list of magic words what do you use i learned how to read the source <laughs> to be honest <laughs> that's, that's the worst answer yeah. <laughs> i think your iq just went up about 80 points in my head well api docs <laughs> the, there the... are api docs yeah um so 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 <laughs> This is where we should talk about maybe should you use SQL <laughs> or should you use ARIL? I guess probably the, the common theme is the documentation isn't really there because ARIL is considered private API. But but there is, if you Google, there's there's articles, there is like the Ruby doc output, you know, that you can find and kind of get some some ideas there. But I eventually just figured out how to read the source so I can really figure out what's going on. But how about this? I'll give you some some tips. <laughs> 
Sometimes I, I, I don't want to read the source. Yeah, that's, that's the, <laughs> the only thing worse than reading the source is writing it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come on, <laughs> Luke. I mean, honestly, it's just Ruby. It's like reading yeah. English, right? Oh my word! Oh. Once you get a couple of of the of the ways that Arial works, it's actually pretty easy to read. But Arial's just kind of Arial's really trying to stick strings together. <laughs> that does not make me feel better. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, that hurts so much. Okay, so so I actually disagree. With, okay, okay, so so let's let's hash this out because maybe yeah. maybe my understanding is wrong. So my uh, way of understanding what Arial is is it's it's basically building an abstract abstract syntax tree. Yep, which another thing we if should that, define. <laughs> yep, it, exactly right. So so I'll try and go there in just a second. If you're not familiar with that and that doesn't just like straight up ring, we're building this gigantic graph mm -hmm. of your query, which is, I think, so, I mean, that's basically what an abstract syntax tree is, right? Like it's, it's basically, hey, I have, you know, this piece and then, you know, hey, maybe it has a left and a right hand thing. And then I do something to go left hand, right hand, right? Well, in this case, it's like, for example, when you say, I think the easiest thing is if you're adding conditions to your where clauses, right? So if I want to say, hey, I want to find something between two dates, right? Like mm -hmm. between has a left hand date and a right hand date. And so, you know, your abstract syntax tree in, in Arial is going to be a between node, right? With its left hand being, you know, the date that's on the left hand side and the date that's on the right hand side, right? And so we, we build this tree to build a bunch of build this query right like the string yep. query and it sounds like super crazy and the thing that i was going to try and get to is i think the issue with errol is it's very hard to conceive of uh, for most people in my experience for most people mm -hmm. to conceive of your query which is just a string to almost everybody and right. i think sql is hard for a lot of people in the first place right but then to abstract at another level and say hey, I'm going to build this gigantic tree yep. just so that I can get my computer to dynamically build this for me. Like you're, you have multiple levels of abstractions that are hard. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's the main challenge actually with Arrow at its core. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. That's like a hard thing to keep in your head. And if you like, if you're in a console and you like output the data structure of a, an Arrow thing, it's like pages and pages of these, these little nodes, little node objects. And I, I kind of try to, to skip that and ignore it. And then I look at like the individual node classes and think, so what, 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 like what started us down this trail was your question about like, how do I figure out what to do? And oftentimes you can do, you can use this ARL node called a named function. So you could say like, if, if the SQL you want is, is a word with parentheses and like a, an argument or a list of arguments to that, then I just reach for this thing called named function and it, it builds that thing, right? So I'm going to, okay. I'm going to say, here's the name of the thing. <laughs> here's the arguments to it. Just kind of figure it out. It, it, it works out, right? Like almost eight times out of 10, I would say that's the SQL I want. And then there's some other like nodes that I've used to like hack together when it's something really weird that I want to do. But yeah, it, it's definitely a, a complex thing, but you kind of muddle through it. <laughs> Yeah, one tip I'm going to throw out on this is one website that I really love for getting an idea of what an abstract syntax tree looks like is astexplorer.net. Mm. And it, it defaults to JavaScript, but you can choose other languages. And one of them is, is SQL. Okay. And so then you can kind of look at it. 
And the way that I would recommend that you look at it is essentially you go in and, you know, switch it over to SQL and then it will break it down into the AST. Mm-hmm. And what I want you to do, and you can switch it over. It has a tree view and a JSON view. So look at the JSON view. And then from there, just just kind of look at it from the standpoint of if I had to parse a messy string mm-hmm. versus parsing this really nice object that breaks it down into a standard way, mm-hmm. I'd much rather write a program that did the right thing off of this really nice object that I've got sitting here. Right. I think another way to think of it is to define abstract syntax tree backwards. <laughs> it's like a, first of all, it's a tree. It's a data structure. It's a pile yes. of data. And then it's it's syntax. It's like, okay, the language for, for the computer or some kind of compiler, right? And then it's abstract in that it separates the the idea that you're you're trying to to accomplish the thing you're trying to accomplish from the implementation of that right. idea and that that's what arel does is it, it first it builds up this abstract syntax tree and at that point like you were saying charles it's like okay now we can write a program to translate that uh, those ideas into whatever mm-hmm. we need and so then under the hood arel takes that abstract syntax tree and uses another fancy computer science term, the, the visitor pattern, <laughs> which is basically just a visitor is like an object that is going to look at this tree and do the specific thing for its specific purpose, right? So ARL has a Postgres visitor. It has a MySQL visitor. There's a, a Microsoft SQL server visitors, IBM database, you know, Every different database has its own visitor. So that visitor knows, okay, I see this node. For, for example, if you say, I want to limit my results to five rows, so if it's limit five. In MySQL and Postgres, that, that SQL is limit five. But in other databases, it might be like take five or top five, or you know, there might be a different, there's different SQL there, right? So the visitor goes, okay, for, for me, I'm going to take that limit node or that, uh, I forget exactly what it is under the hood, but that limit idea, and I'm going to, I'm going to translate it into the, the database specific SQL for what I'm doing. So, so between those, if you, if you can get through those two concepts, then I think, okay, I kind of get what, what ARL mm-hmm. is doing in the source. It's okay. This half of the code is about turning the nodes into actual SQL strings. And the other half is about building that, that node structure, that big tree. So I have one question slash criticism about ARL. Okay. Is that if they've gone through all the effort of building these tie-ins to the various databases and it's available in ARL, why isn't it available in Active Record? I think it's a, so I don't know. We would have to ask the Rails course team, but my speculation is that that is, it's harder harder to move some of these concepts up into the the layer of abstraction that po- that active record lives in right it's that really nice ergonomic world mm-hmm. and and then at the bottom is the unergonomic <laughs> world of sql right and in between is kind of with ARL. And it's like, it seems to me like over the years that the, the core team has done their best to to get that uh, ARL layer nice. But they have, until recently, I would say, they've said, you know, we're not taking bug requests for, for ARL because it's, it is what it is. It, they consider it private API. So so like if Rails changed how has many worked, right? You better believe there would be blog posts and deprecation warnings and all this kind of cycle to get everybody ready. You know, hey, this thing that everybody uses is going to change soon. But between versions, ARL, there's no, there's no warning, right? Between major Rails versions. So, and that's what they mean when they say it's like private API. I've talked to a couple of the Rails coursing people about it. It's like, should it, 
is it wrong to use A-Rail? Do you, do you not want people to use A-Rail or do you, you know, and they're kind of like, well, you know, it's, it's there and absolutely use it, but, but use it with the understanding that, that you're responsible for it in a, in a, in a bigger sense than you would be for your active record code. It's, it's not that it's not tested or it's going to, you know, break, but, but it, it's, it's, it's more your responsibility to make sure like between versions that what you're expecting out of it is what you're expecting out of it. Right. So we test every bit of a real code that we write. And a couple of times when we move between versions, there's like white space changes, right? I'm like, okay, that that's, that's pretty easy to figure out. Or, you know, we, we always catch it because of, because we're, uh, we're, we're always testing all the a code, but, we we have to adapt to to move ARL. We have a lot of ARL in our app. It probably wouldn't be the same for everybody, but but as we've moved upgraded Rails, we we've had to make a few little changes. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. It is pretty stable. I, yeah. I, I might add, like, I don't think that the Eric's warning should should, should seem yeah, that scary. Too scary. Yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty stable it, for the most part. My experience over the years with it has just been that they just keep adding features, mm-hmm. not that they break stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's not that it's it's prone to break. It's just that things change in little ways, and and so you want to test it. But if you if you have reasonable test coverage on it. I think you can be confident in using using ARL. But recently, they said, at least on the Ruby on Rails uh, Discord forum, that they're looking to make it more of a, for lack of a better word, public thing where people use use it more and more, and they're trying to improve the ergonomics in our own ARL and that kind of stuff. It's just a, um, you know, if you've written a gem or anything like that, you've got a lot of implementation details that you're like, oh, I wish this was a little nicer, but for the time being, <laughs> it works, right? So there are some interesting things, partly to answer your question, Dave. Like I w- I've been trying really hard since we since we started this to come up with something. Window clauses, I think, are a really mm-hmm. good example of something that doesn't really fit. Like it would be really hard to do that using Rails's active record syntaxes. I, I mean, I suppose there's possibly a way to do it, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, right? But like, that's an awkward one to do no matter what. And I, I think features like that, that you have in SQL, that Errol has implemented, I think might be hard to like bring up. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but. Um, one of the things that's that's changed recently, like Rails 6, you used to have, if you were going to do an upsert, it was very database specific. It well, I should define upsert. So you can tell some databases, hey, I want to, I want to insert this record, but if it's already there based on ID or some other information, then just update a couple of the, the columns in it. Right. So it's like a insert, but if it's already there, update. Right. And normally with active 